may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we are incredibly thankful for the God that we serve. For a good father who is strong and powerful, but is full of grace and compassion. For a God who is just and loving. For a God who desires for us to live lives of purpose, <clears throat> driven by the power that you direct towards us. Father, I pray this morning that we would be reminded of all of that through your word. I pray this morning that your word would encourage and change us. I pray that you would help our hearts to understand what our ears hear. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <coughs> Paul starts off here in this passage by saying, for this reason... For this reason. And that leads us to ask a couple of questions. And we're going to be asking different questions throughout this passage. But Paul says, for this reason, which leads us to ask the question, why exactly is Paul praying? If he's going to say, for this reason, then we need to know what that reason is. And it's interesting because this is not the only place where Paul uses this phrase. He uses it in chapter 1 as well when he t explains why he is giving thanks for the church at Ephesus and he explains that that's because that now they are part of the family they've been they've received the gospel and the blessings of the gospel and then he goes on in chapter 3 at the beginning to say for this purpose and he, he actually is going to start the prayer that we're going to read and he gets slightly sidetracked by the spirit and writes about his own ministry and that we are to join in and so we reach him here in at the middle, last third of chapter 3. And once again, he starts up this great prayer for us with for this reason. But what is the reason here? Why is he praying for us here? Well, first, I think we can go back in chapter 3 at the, at the passage that we looked at last week and find it. First, we see that we have a purpose as you look throughout the first part of chapter 3, what you see is Paul talking about how he was given a specific purpose. He was given a specific mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. To help them to see that no longer did they have to become Jews by the law and by the flesh to become part of the kingdom of God. But now they could receive the the blessings of the kingdom, the blessings of being the family by faith through by, by faith alone, with by his grace. And that's exciting for us because we are the Gentiles. We are the ones that he was bringing it to. And now it has spread to us all these years later. And we talked about at the end of the passage last week that we now too join in that purpose. We too are part of what God is calling us, God reveals his gospel to us. We are part of the calling that God has made for us to go out into the fields and harvest. We are part of the workers of the kingdom of God as we take the gospel. We take this great hope, this great assurance that we have been given and proclaim it to the world. 
So Paul says, for this reason, because you have a purpose, I'm going to pray for you. But it's not just that. At the beginning of chapter 3, and then there again at the end of chapter 3, in the first verse and in the 13th verse, we see that Paul is suffering. In fact, that is the mark right before the, the verse, right before the prayer. It's a reminder of his suffering. Paul is praying for us not only because we have a great purpose in Christ and because Paul knows that purpose, but Paul is praying for us because he knows there will be opposition to the purpose. Certainly, Paul understood this in his own life. Paul was taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the people that had never heard of the name of Jesus Christ. Many of them had no experience with the God of Israel. And he was taking this new, this new hope to them. And it is no surprise then that Satan, the enemy, would want to stand in front, of him, in front of him and prevent this from happening. In the same way, you and I should not be surprised that as we take the gospel out to a world that desperately needs it, as we take hope to a world filled with hopelessness, as we bring peace to a place that is unrested, as we bring comfort to those that are in desperate need of it, that Satan, our enemy, would want to stand in front of that and prevent it with everything that he has. We may not face prison. We may not face martyrdom. We may not face beatings the way Paul did, but if we follow Christ and his purpose, there will be opposition. And Paul says, I am praying for this reason. Which leads us to a third thing that's not specifically drawn out here, but we see it in the context of the rest of the prayer. Paul is praying because we have a purpose. He's praying because we have opposition. And he's praying because we need strength. He's praying because we need strength. It is repeated over and over throughout our prayer this morning. As Paul says, I pray for strength. I pray for strength. I pray that you would find strength. We need strength. We need power. We cannot accomplish we cannot accomplish the purpose that he has put in front of us. We cannot go through the obstacles and the opposition that we have in front of us if we do not have strength. And we know this. This is not a mystery. This is not something that you don't relate to. If you're like me, there are weeks that you start off on Monday and by Friday you're just exhausted. It's been a tough week, whether it's because of work stress or whether it's because of family and some different things happening there or because of a loss of a loved one or because of illness or because of some other outside pressure or, or outside force. We have weeks that just drain us. And many times they prevent us from accomplishing all that we'd like to, whether it is in jobs or whether it's in something else or whether it's in the purpose that God has set before us. We understand this. Many of us here today would probably say and probably could probably relate to, I need strength. I need power just to make it through the day, to make it through this next week I know what's coming up. I know what I'm going through. And because of that, Paul says, for this reason, I am praying for you. For this reason, I bow my knees. And then 
Paul does something interesting. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Before the Father. Which makes us come to the question, who is Paul praying to? Now, I could probably go out in the audience and grab any one of our children that are here with us, and I could probably stand them up here and say, who do we pray to? And they would probably be able to give me a very satisfactory answer of either Jesus or God. I don't, I, there would be very few that I think that wouldn't be able to come up with that unless they just get straight stage fright. And probably you as well, if I, if I went to you and I said, who do we pray to? You would be able to say, we pray to God, we pray to Jesus. And that is a satisfactory answer. However, it is not always a complete answer in the sense that we forget just who that is. We forget who we are praying to. We don't forget his name. We don't forget who he is. But we forget all that that encompasses. He says here first, let me, let me explain this. He says this first. He says, I am praying to the Father. But not just any Father. He says, I am praying before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He is talking about a good father from whom we all come from, both in a earthly sense that we all were created by God, but also in a spiritual sense that he is the father of the church. I think it's interesting here, though, that he talks about the name, that, that he is the father for whom they are all named. In Madagascar, I don't think I've shared this with you, but in Madagascar, it was one of the interesting things that I found out there was we would, one of my favorite things is we would sit out in the bush and there's no, hardly any trees and it's just open space and you can see everything. Like the stars are just unfolded before you. You can, it's so dark that you can actually watch the International Space Station, International Space Station zoom over. Like it's just a really cool experience that we don't always get because of electricity here. Um, but as we would sit there, one of the things we would do is we would point to the stars. Um, those of us that were Americans, we would point to the stars and say, oh, that's this star, and oh, that's this star, and that's this constellation. Or we'd, we'd change and we'd say, oh, that's this planet, and that's this planet. And my Malagasy friends would always just be kind of in awe. They would be like, really? Like, you, you, you know the name of that star? And they weren't impressed because of our education. They weren't impressed because we had learned something out of a book. The reason that they were impressed was because in Malaga Madagascar, in that culture, if you know the name of something, you have owners, partial ownership over it. It's one reason that my friend told me that he doesn't often give out the full name of his children. He will give out a nickname or a shortened version of that name. Because to have the full name of someone is to have some, some level of sovereignty, some level of influence over them. The Jewish culture must not have been much different. We see it. Here, as he talks about the naming and the idea there is that God has sovereignty. God is the rightful leader of the family. But we also see it later when God talks about that he is going to give us a new name that only him and I know. That he, he's going to give me a name that, that he, only he knows what to call me by. And therefore, I am free of all other leaders. I am free of all other authorities save for Jesus Christ. It's a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable thing. Paul says, I am praying to the Father. 
I am praying to the leader, the sovereign one of all of us. He is also praying to the one with riches. He goes on there and he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, and this is what we talked about earlier, may grant you to be strengthened. This is the God with great riches. This is the God who is able to provide for our needs. This is the God who is able to provide not only for physical needs, but for spiritual needs. This is the God who fulfills us. This is the God who satisfies us. This is the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This is the God who means when he says, I will provide, he means it, and he will carry through with his promises. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we forget it because we live in a place where many of us, not all of us, but many of us, we want a meal and all we have to do is take a quick drive down to Dairy Queen and bam, there it is. Or we take a quick drive to Dollar General or County Market and bam, there's our food. Or we go to the deep freeze and it's full. We don't think about provision for need. We think about provision for once a lot, but we don't think about provision for need very much at all. And so we forget this great God that we serve who has all of the riches. We forget because we go through life and we try to find satisfaction in worldly things. We try to find satisfaction in our hobbies or we try to find satisfaction in our job or even in our families. Not that any of those are bad things, and we, but we forget that it is Him and Him alone who satisfies and who has great riches. Who is Paul praying to? Paul is praying to the Sovereign Father. He is praying to the One with all of the riches. And he is praying to the One with the power. He says there at the end of that verse 16, he says, I'll just read the whole verse, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with, his, with power through His Spirit in your inner being. This power that he speaks of here is the same power that parted the Red Sea. It is the same power that helped David to kill Goliath. It's the same power that shut the mouths of lions with Daniel. It's the same power that allowed Christ to raise the dead to life. It's the same power that allowed Him to heal the blind. It's the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And now that great power is directed to you and it's directed to me if we will walk in it. That's exciting. Do you see who we're praying to? We are praying to the sovereign God who is over all things, who knows each name and therefore has ownership. We are praying to the God of great riches who is able to satisfy not only our physical needs, but our spiritual needs. We are praying to the God with all the power who now desires to focus that through us, the church. Maybe your prayer life is dry. Maybe you say, I don't think my prayers go past the ceiling. I guarantee you, start thinking about who you're praying to and that will change. I think sometimes we forget to pray. I think sometimes we forget to follow through with that part of our life because we forget who we are praying to. Paul says, let me remind you. Let me remind you of this great God that you serve. Let me remind you of this great God who has saved you, 
for this reason I am praying. You have a purpose. That purpose is going to face opposition. You are going to need strength. But let me remind you of who you're praying to. You're praying to God, the God with all the sovereignty. You're praying to the God with all the riches. You're praying to the God that has all the power. But what is Paul praying for? He, we know why he's praying. We know who he's praying to. But why, what is he praying for? Well, we look here in verse 17 and we see the word, so that. So that. Okay, here we go. This is what Paul is praying for. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is, what is Paul praying for? We know why he's praying. We know who he's praying to. What is he praying for? He's praying first that Christ may dwell in us. Okay, now we understand this as believers, or I hope that you understand as a believer, that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you put your faith and trust in him, that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in your heart that he's the one that guides and directs us now, that he's the one that moves us to worship and to the good works that Christ has put in front of us. But it is not, it is not the goal, it is not the, the fullness of God that we understand that Christ dwells in us once at the point of salvation. Rather, we should desire the indwelling of the Spirit, the indwelling of Christ daily. Daily. Now, certainly God says he will never leave us. He will never abandon us. And he doesn't. He keeps his promise. But how often do you get up in the morning and ask him to join you? I don't know about you, but I very, very rarely show up at a friend's door at 8 a.m. in the morning and say, hey, let's spend the day together. Like I just randomly just knock on somebody's door and maybe I'll do that to Micah one day. I'll drive to Columbia and knock on the door. We're going to spend the day together. Let's go. Mike is like, great, thanks. Can't say no to the pastor, so I guess let's go. Okay? No, you, we wait for an invitation, don't we? Typically, we wait for someone to say, hey, you, let's go spend the day together. Okay, great, let's do it. We don't, we don't just randomly shoot up at somebody's front door. In the same way, Paul is saying, I pray that you dwell with Christ, that you are inviting him daily to walk with you. That you are inviting him daily to be a part of your life, to have conversations, to share needs and accomplishments. We need to walk with him. So Paul prays for that, for the dwelling of Christ. He also prays that we understand the depth of where we are rooted. It says there in verse 17, halfway through, it says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He prays that we might be fully rooted in the love of God. Many of us know and understand that for the most part, shallow roots on a tree are, are typically a bad thing. If a tree has shallow roots or it has a bad root system, man, the first storm to come along, that tree's a goner. That tree's not going to make it. The first drought to happen, that if that tree has shallow roots that aren't finding water, then that tree's a goner. Trees need to have massive, deep root systems if they're to flourish and to produce fruit 
In the same way, you and I need to constantly be going deeper. We need to ask the Lord to reveal to us the depths of who He is. I love the song that we sang there at the end that, uh, that God calls us, the Father calls us deeper. He doesn't just leave us in one place. He doesn't just leave us to say, well, I know that I'm safe, but rather He wants us to experience the fullness of His love, the depth of His love, the greatness of His wisdom. And He calls us deeper into that. Paul says, I pray that you will be rooted deeply so that you may comprehend all of it. And he says that knowing that we can never on this side of heaven really do that. But we need, if we are to accomplish this purpose, if we're to face the opposition, then we must be ready to dwell with Christ. We must be willing to, to be deeply rooted in His love and allow His love to surround us. And we must be filled. Paul says that he is praying, and there in verse 9, that we know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, and then he ends with this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If we are to accomplish the purpose that we've been given, if we're to face the opposition that we so often face, if we're to have the strength to get through this life that God and this path that God has called us on, then we must be filled. We must be filled. You see, God desires us to do incredible things, but He doesn't desire for us to do it on our own. I've been thinking a lot lately about forgiveness. I've, I've got some friends that are dealing with that and a lot of people that that seems to be a topic of discussion with lately. And God calls us to forgive in a very radical way. He calls us to forgive as He forgives. And we know that God holds no record of our sin against us. We know that He separates, in fact, He separates those things that we have done against Him as far as the East is from the West. It's pretty amazing the way that God forgives us. And now He calls us to do that to others. And frankly, some of us have been hurt pretty deeply. Some of us have, been, have pretty significant scars, pretty significant wounds that have been inflicted by others. And it's hard to get over, much less for us to forgive. But here's the crazy thing. God doesn't call you to forgive as He forgives on His own, on your own. He doesn't say, forgive as I forgive in your own power. Because let me tell you, that's not possible. You can't forgive the way God forgives on your own. You just can't do it. However, He's not calling you to do that. He is calling you to be filled with the Spirit to rely on His power so that you can forgive like He forgives. He's not calling you to teach Sunday school on your own power. The first time a kid throws a paper wad at you, you're going to just melt into the ground. He's calling you to teach Sunday school through His power, through His wisdom. He will help you do it. He will give you the Spirit for it. But we must be filled. We must consistently go back to Him. I think of it this way too, that when a, if you were to take a bucket, and, and I'm stealing this from somebody else, but if you take a bucket and, and sink it into the ocean to hold it under the waves, 
In one sense, that bucket would hold the ocean. In one sense. But in a much grander sense, it is all encompassed, it is surrounded by the ocean. Yes, it is filled. Yes, it holds part of the ocean. But in a much grander sense, it is all around it. That bucket is filled to the brim. In fact, it is completely overcome. That is where we need to be. We need to seek Christ out. We need to invite him daily to dwell in us, to call us deeper with him, that we may be filled in such a way that we are surrounded by the grace and the power and the love of Christ so that we may accomplish, so that we may carry on in what he has called us to do. Paul Paul then ends this prayer. He has gone through why we need all of these things. He has gone through who we pray to, who can provide them. He has gone through what we need. And now he ends this prayer with great worship of the God who can deliver. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul gets to the end of this prayer and he looks back at why we need prayer, why we need this prayer, why we need strength. He looks back at who he is praying to. He looks back at what God is able and wants to accomplish through us. And he cannot help himself but to worship. He cannot help himself but to glorify this God that we serve. He reminds us that all of this is for the glory of God. All that God is accomplishing is for his glory. First through the church. He desires to glorify Himself through us. He desires for us to be part of this grand purpose. And so often, so often in my life, when I have prayed for the strength of God, when I've prayed for Him to dwell with me, when I've prayed for Him to fill me, it has been through the voice, the voice of a church family member. It has been through the hands of a church family member. It has been through the gift of a church family member that he has answered that prayer. We are in this together for his glory to follow the purpose of God. And as we do that, it will draw others. Not only is the glory through the church, but the glory is through Christ. As we are given the power that He promises us, and we lift up Jesus Christ, Christ glorifies God in the sacrifice and in His resurrection. And then lastly, we're reminded that it is forever. In all generations. God's purpose will not be defeated. His purpose will not fail. His church will not be overcome. Christ Himself promises us the victory that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. We have been given a victory already. It doesn't mean that we should 
sit on our laurels. It doesn't mean that we should just rest now. It means that we should jump in the fray. We should jump in the fight, ready and willing to do whatever it takes without any fear because we know though there is opposition, we know though we are not powerful enough on our own that we serve the sovereign God who has all the riches and all the power and who has already claimed the victory. We serve knowing the end outcome. It's worthy of worship. It's worthy of prayer. This morning, if you're one of those who you're struggling and it's been a rough week and you don't know how you're going to get through the next one. and You don't know how to deal with the situation that's before you. Paul is praying for you. Paul is reminding you of his great of God's great strength, of God's great love that he has directed towards you this morning. If you will simply dwell in him. If you will simply dwell in him. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response. Maybe this morning you think about the God that we pray to and you can't help but want to worship. Then this, this morning, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to respond to this great God that we pray to and to lift Him up with all of your voice and all of your strength to sing back to Him great praise of worship. Then this morning, I hope that you will do that. That you will remember how He has been your strength in the hard times. How He has shown you great compassion and great mercy in the difficult times. And you will desire to lift that up this morning. This morning though, maybe you're one that like I said, you are having that difficult time. Then this is an opportunity for you to come. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you need to share with another in this church and just grab somebody and say, hey, this is what's going on. Will you pray for me? Then I hope that you'll take the opportunity to do that this morning. Maybe this morning you have no idea what we're talking about. You don't know what it means to be to dwell with Christ. You don't know what it means to have that peace. You don't know what it means to experience the love and the power of God. He is extending that to you this morning. In His grace, He has said, I want to give you all of it. The grace, the peace, the love, the fulfillment. All you have to do is put your trust in Him. Put your faith in Him. If that's a decision that you want to make this morning, then I would invite you to come. Make that decision. God ask us as a first step of obedience to acknowledge Him in front of others. If you need more questions about that, grab me afterwards. I'd be happy to talk to you. Grab one of the deacons or one of the ushers. They'd be happy to talk to you about that. This morning, though, you respond as the Lord leads. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you and we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. And this morning, we remember the God who we pray to. We remember that you are rich beyond imagination, that you have all the power, that you have all the glory, that you own everything, that you're sovereign. We remember that you love us and that you have shown us that love through the cross and through Christ's resurrection. We remember this morning that you are the God of the Old Testament and the New who has accomplished so many great things. We remember how you saved us. And Lord, we come before you 
desiring to praise your name because of it. We come before you lifting up our own hearts and our own needs. Many of us are weary. Many of us are tired. Many of us maybe need help. Lord, we, we lay that before you this morning. Know that you are a good father. Knowing that you are a good Lord. Who doesn't use your power for abuse, but rather uses your power for his children and for his glory. Father, I pray, help us to respond in this moment the way you would have us to respond. We pray this in your name. Amen.